So what is your one thing as a parent? We've been in a teaching series here for the last month called Me and My House, where we're looking at family life with a, with a special emphasis on parenting through the lens of the Christian faith. And as we wrap up this series, I want to end with just that question. Uh, as a parent or a grandparent or a beloved aunt or uncle, if you have influence over the life of a little one, what is your one thing? Uh, what's the one thing that if all else fails, you want them to know? You want them to embody. You want them to be about, lest you are a failure as a parent. And maybe for you, it all comes down to this. They need to be Aggie fans. That's all that matters to you. <laughs> or maybe you don't care what they become or what they believe so long as they never leave the Republic of Texas. What is the one thing for you? If you're here this morning and you are a family of faith, what I would offer to you is that the one thing for families of faith is, is actually given to us in the scriptures. Uh, there are lots of things that, that are important for our families, but, but the scriptures lead us to believe that the one thing for families of faith, the one thing for parents raising children in the faith, is to make sure that they walk in faith following Jesus. That that's really the one thing. Another way to say it is that their identity is grounded in the grace and the goodness of God that is theirs in Jesus Christ. Now, that word identity is important for us this morning, so I feel the need to define it as we move forward. Here's what I mean when I say identity. Uh, identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself that shapes the things that you do. I'll say that again. It's the story you tell about yourself that shapes the things that you do. That's your identity. So the things that I tell myself are as follows. I was born and raised in the great state of Michigan. I graduated from the University of Michigan, so I am a Michigan fan. That's what I tell myself, which means that on Saturdays, here's what I do. I dress up in maize and blue, and then in late November, I cry as we lose to Ohio State. That's what I do. <laughs> I am a preacher. That's the story I tell myself which means that I, I, I read the Bible, I, I pray for and with people, and I love to hear myself talk. That's what I do. I have to tell myself that I'm not a police officer. As I'm driving down I-10 and people go zooming past me and I look over at them and they're on their phone, I have to tell myself, you're not a cop, you're not a cop. As much as I want to chase after them, pull them over and give them a fake ticket, I know that I can't. I'm not a police officer, I'm a pastor. So I just pray for the Lord to smite them. That's what I do. <laughs> your identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself that shapes what you do. And, and if you are here as a parent, grandparent, influential aunt or uncle, uh, one of the things that you want is for the young people in your life to have as a part of their identity that they are forgiven, beloved children of God, and for that to then shape the things that they do in their life. That's one of the big things that we want. It's the one thing that we want. But the question is, well, well how do we accomplish that? How do we nurture that? How do we help do that? And what I'll say is this, I think that one thing comes down to a thousand little things. That one thing comes down to a thousand little things. God's people were finally about to enter the promised land. After decades of wandering and wondering if they'd ever arrived, of, of being disobedient, of being punished, they were finally like on the precipice. They were about to enter. And as they're about to enter the promised land, 
God wants them to remember who they are so that it would shape how they live in the land of promise. And so God gathers them together, and through Moses, he, he recounts the whole story. Like, from the very beginning, he recounts the whole journey that they've been on that has led to that point. And then he gives them his expectations for the kind of people that they will be. Now, why does God do this? It's because he wants their identity to be very clear as they enter the land. Because how they see themselves, the story they tell themselves is going to shape what they do once they enter the land of promise. Now, what's interesting is, is how Moses instructs the people of God to nurture that identity. Let's look again at what happens. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 6. These words that I command you today, the story of where you've come from and the commandments that he's about to restate, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you, people of God, shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're sitting around doing nothing on a Saturday. Talk about where you've been and who brought you there. When you walk, by the way, when you're traveling from one thing to the next, when you're in a car ride from, from one practice to another practice to another practice, lay hold of that opportunity to talk about who you are, where you come from, what matters most. And when you lie down, when it's bedtime, and the stories you tell, tell this story. And when you rise, when you get up, and it's time to pray for the day in front of you, tell this story. Moses is clear. He expects parents to reinforce this identity so that it's not just one generation that enters the land knowing who they are and then living accordingly, but that it's the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And what he says is it comes down to parents telling these same things that I'm telling to you, to your families, to your children, to one another, over and over and over and over again in the mundane realities of everyday life. That's what he says. He says you shall teach them diligently. What's interesting to me is that uh, the Hebrew word for teach diligently is the same verb that is used to describe engraving in stone or sharpening a tool. When you engrave something in stone, when you carve something in granite, you don't do it quick, you do it slow, and there's a lot of repetition. Tap, 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 tap. But once it's engraved, through that slow, tedious process, you carve something in stone, it's carved. It's there. What Moses is saying is, if you're going to understand who you are, it comes down to parents teaching their children, telling the stories over and over and over again in the mundane realities of everyday life. It's a thousand little things that reinforce the big thing, the one thing. Who am I and how shall I live? Now, the question for us today is, what in the world does that look like in 21st century Houston, Texas, with all that's going on in the world? What's that look like for me and my family or you and your grandkids? What, what does it look like? Well, looking at this scripture and, and a handful of others, I would say it comes down to parents, grandparents, influential aunts and uncles, giving to the young people in their life three things. You seek to give them a history, you give them habits, and you give them a heart. I'll explain what I mean by all three of these things. History, habits, and a heart. We'll start with the history piece. Your identity is not just knowing who you are, but really at its core, it's about knowing where you came from. 
Uh, the reason being a Popovitz matters to me. If you're new, that's my strange last name, Popovitz. The reason being a Popovitz matters to me is because I know a bit of my family story. I don't know the whole thing, but I know a lot of it. I know some of the heroes of my family, and that adds great weight and meaning to who I am. I am Matt Popovitz, son of John and Karen Popovitz. I know the history of where I've come from. This is why baptism is so important in our tradition. Baptism is the moment where, regardless of age, the work of Jesus Christ, his forgiving work, is given to the recipient of baptism. And you go from, as the scriptures would say, you go from death to life and you become publicly, personally, officially a member of God's family. And what happens when you become a member of a family is that the history and the story of that family becomes your own. If you're here and your children are baptized, their family history is not just the story of you and your grandparents and their grandparents. Their family history is the story of God. Their family history is the story of all the people who shared this faith that's come before us. That history, those heroes, that's theirs. And so what we have to do is, is tell them who they are. Tell them the history and tell them the heroes. Tell them where they came from in the family of God. Now, if, if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking, oh, man, but Matt, I don't, I don't really know the Bible. Well, let this be encouragement to learn a little more. And, and thankfully, we have a lot of great resources to help you with that, like download a podcast. It's easy these days. But it's not about becoming a Bible expert. Honestly, it's, it's about, at the very beginning, it's about just knowing the broad strokes of, of the Christian story that is our shared history. It's about being able to articulate and share the truth that God made all things. Sin ruined all things. And Jesus has come to reconnect us with God and fix all things. Telling that story and handing it to those under your care. So, so really, practically speaking, giving them a history means that the stories you read at bedtime matter. It's a great opportunity. It means coming to church and being part of a children's ministry where they're told the story of God, the history of God's family over and over again it really matters. It's about laying hold of the, the chances for conversation and recollection and, and pointing to that story, pointing to that history, however you understand it, to whatever level, pointing to it. Those things matter. Give them a history. You can't know who you are unless you know where you came from. We also give them habits, the things that we do as people of faith, given who we are and where we've come from. There's certain things that flow out of that that we, all Christians, have always done and should always do. And these are things that not only flow from our identity, but the reason these habits, these actions are important is because they reinforce our identity over and over again. You become what you repeat. I'll say that again. I'll repeat it. You become what you repeat. So what are some of the habits of the Christian faith that have been passed on to us? Well, worship of Jesus. Prayer. The practice of forgiveness, not just confessing our sins and receiving it on a Sunday morning from God, for sure that, but also practicing forgiveness between other human beings. Generosity chastity. 
You read through the New Testament. These are listed out and told to us over and over and over again. These are the things that we do, among many other things, that make us who we are. They flow from our identity, but they reinforce our identity. For example, why do you think it is that, that every year millions of grade schoolers memorize the Gettysburg Address? Perhaps you did this in elementary school. I did. Why do you think millions of kids do this every year? Why is that a habit in our education system? It's not just a civics lesson. You remember how it starts, right? It starts like this. It's on the screen. I'll read it to you. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are what? Created equal. You know it. We all know it. Why, why do we learn that over and over again? Is it just a civics lesson? No. The reason we do that is because it's identity formation. It's about shaping an identity as an American. By learning that Gettysburg Address, you get to invite yourself into that history, into that story, and the values and the ideals that are expressed, you take ownership of those things, and they become your own. That's why. That's what habits do. So now, answer me this. Why do you think we say one of the ancient creeds every single time we get together? Why do you think we say the Lord's Prayer every single week? Why do we confess our sins over and over and over again? And then you hear me say to you, your sins are forgiven. Didn't you already know that? Yes, you did, but we're going to do it anyway. Why do we do these things? It's about forging, forming, nurturing an identity. You become what you repeat. After church one Sunday, a nine-year-old boy walked up to his pastor, and he asked his pastor, he said, Pastor, why is it that after every sermon you say the same thing? After every sermon, you say, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Why do you say that? And the pastor just smiled and looked at the boy and said, that's why. He knew it. He remembered it. That habit left a mark in his mind, in his heart, and he now knew and understood something about the nature of God's word. Our habits form us. This is why coming to church on some regularity is important. It's not just because I'm the pastor and it really, really is good for my soul and my ego if you're here, although it is. It's not just about that. It's about forming an identity. This is why praying at family meals, no matter how simple your prayer is, is important. It's about forming an identity. This is why acts of generosity in your family, to other families, to other individuals, your kids seeing that within you, participating in that in, with you, that's formative. It's important. All these things, these habits, they flow from our identity, but they forge the identity. They're essential. But we also need to give our kids a heart, a, a heart that's connected to our history and our habits. And what I mean by that when I say that is we want them to understand the motivation behind the peculiar things that people of faith do. We want them to understand why we do the things that we do. So in 1 Peter, Peter is asking these, these young Christians to abstain from things that everybody else is just indulging in. He's asking them to live a very different, very odd life culturally. 
Everybody else is giving themselves over to all these things, and he's saying, look, don't give yourself over to all these cultural instincts and urges. But, but he doesn't just tell them not to. Before he tells them what to do, he tells them who they are. That's what I mean by instilling a heart. Tell them who they are. Let's look at this again. This is really powerful. Because once this section of scripture is over, he tells them what to do. He tells them, abstain from the passions of the flesh. But before he does that, he says this, you're a chosen race. Don't forget, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. If you remember freshman English class, these are all indicative statements. An indicative statement is a statement of fact. It's a you are, it is statement. All the indicatives lead to the imperatives. The imperatives are the command, but the indicative comes first. You are royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As parents, grandparents, influential aunts and uncles, it's so easy when we want our young person in our life to do something to just say, because I said so. Not only is it easy, it feels good. But you want to know what's more powerful? Because this is who we are. Forgiven people, that's us. Forgive people. Loved people, that's us. Love people. Save people. Save people. People who have received generosity, that's us. We live generously. The indicative leads to the imperative. You, you have to give them a heart. You have to tell them why. There's a tendency in children to say, look at me, look at me. They ride a bike, look at me, Dad. They're on the swing, going higher than ever, look at me. A couple of weeks ago, my son was calling from the, the front room of the house. He said, Dad, 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 come here, look at me. And I walked to the front room, and what he'd done is he'd taken the, the front of his shirt and just pulled it over the top of his head. And he was like rubbing his belly and smacking it, thinking he's the funniest person in the world. It's like, look at me, Dad. Wow. And the first thought that came to my mind was, this kid is going to be so much fun in college. <laughs> and then we grow up, and we're no longer kids, but we're still adults saying, look at me. We get a new car, and we're like, look at me. Kid gets into a good school, we're like, look at me. We get a raise, a new job, we're like, look at me. But, but here's what it means to be a Christian parent who's instilling a heart and an identity in someone else. You, you, you fight the urge just a little bit as a person of influence over somebody else to say, look at me. And what you do is, is you say, and it sounds so simple, but it's really what it comes down to. You say, look, look at God. Look, look at what he's done for us. Look at what he's promised us. Look at what he's accomplished in Jesus. And you, you take those moments and let that be the heart and the motivation and the why behind every other choice that happens. It's a thousand little things. We give them a history. We give them some habits. We give them a heart. Why? 
Look, I, I know that as we've gone through this series, because I've heard from several of you that, that while this series has resonated with many families uh, about the kind of families we are, we are called to build and we want to build, I, I recognize that it's resonated with you. But, but I've also sensed that for some of you, it, is, it has led to a bit of guilt or a sense of pressure. Look, anytime you talk about children in our lives, we, we immediately are keenly aware of all the things we've failed to do as parents or grandparents or all the things we should have done, or as we talk about our, our adult children and the lives we'd love for them to live but they don't live, or, or the, the life that they've chosen that, that is perhaps out of step with what we desire for them or what we, we think God wants for them, and we feel, we feel guilt, we feel angst, we feel a whole bunch of things. And so I want to recognize that, and if that's where you are, I, I just want to say, let me remind you of who you are before you go and do anything with all the things we've talked about. No matter what kind of parent you are, you were, you have been, no matter what kind of guilt or shame you carry over the choices you've made or the choices your kids have made or your grandkids have made, you are a forgiven, loved child of God. And all the work of Jesus Christ is yours, even though you are a profoundly imperfect influence. There is a mountain of mercy that's new for you every day. And on your worst day as a parent, on your worst day as a parent, that mercy and grace is still yours. It's still given to you. On the worst day as a parent, when you, your head is, is just faced toward the dirt because you can't even lift your eyes to look at the ones that you love because you feel so guilty about something you failed to do or something that you should have done or something that you shouldn't have done, on your worst day, the Lord finds you and he lifts your eyes to his own and he tells you, I love you. I forgive you and you are still mine. Let that be the story you tell yourself. That true story. As you go and love and do and try and influence the ones who matter most. I'll close with this. Every night I, I say the same things to my kids when they go to bed. Since the day they were born, up until now, my daughter's 16, my son is 7, I, I still do this. Every night before they go to bed, I make the sign of the cross on their forehead, and then I tell them, you are a baptized child of God. And then as they've gotten older and, and they can participate in it, they make the sign of the cross on my forehead, and they say, Dad, you're a baptized child of God. Probably done that 2,000 times. Now, now, why do I do that? Is it, be, is it because they forget that they're a baptized, beloved child of God? No, it's because I know that each and every day there are a thousand other influences trying to tell them who they are. And I do that not so much for, for today. I do that for tomorrow down the road when, when they're laying up at night and they're long since out of my house and a bunch of stuff has gone wrong in their world and they're wondering, who am I? I want my voice embedded in their hearts over a thousand bedtime rituals ringing in their ears so that they know, oh, I know who I am. I am a baptized child of God. Look, YouTube and TikTok are trying like crazy to give my kids a story 
And school and culture and a thousand other things are trying to give them a habit. And all of it is shaping their heart. And all of it is influencing their identity. And not all of it are bad things, but none of it, none of it is the one thing that matters most. And that's on me. Correction, that's on him. Working through me. I'll give you some homework as we end this series. Later today, as you're having lunch, as you're talking about church, because I know you talk about church, (laughs) would you ask this question about the young people in your life? What's a small thing that we could do, a small thing that we could do to reinforce the one thing that matters most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this high, holy, and difficult calling of influencing the life of other people, especially the life of of young people, little ones that we love. Father, it is not easy to say the least, but it is divine. We pray that you would continue to give us the strength and the wisdom that we need to love our kids well. And when we fail, as we fail, we pray that you would hurry to our side and and whisper in our ear words of mercy and grace that are ours through Jesus Christ and remind us that though we make mistakes, we are still the ones that you want in their lives, loving them and leading them towards you, and then help us to live out that calling. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.